Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its power. And we thank you that it does not return to you void, but it achieves that for which you purpose it. And we want to pray this morning that you would um, help us to hear what you have to say to us. That you might shape and change us um, for your world and for your glory. Amen. Um, our aim at BNA, as Wayne said, is to help you to follow Jesus with others and to make a difference in the life of the world. And um, our aim is to build communities of disciples who live a life of prayer, who love others, who give generously, and who go and share the good news of Jesus with others. And our aim is that in living a life of prayer, you would be equipped um, to read the Bible on a regular basis by yourself. That's a part of what it means to be a mature Christian. And we want everyone to have the opportunity to grow into maturity as a Christian. There's loads of resources out there that can help you to do that. Um, the Bible in One Year is a really good resource that we recommend, but we just would encourage you to find a resource and to get stuck into it by yourself. So you read it regularly, and our job here is to open it up in a way that helps you to understand it when you're reading it by yourself. So there are times when we look at a whole book for a whole year. Uh, we've looked at Acts, John, and Genesis over the past few years. Um, but this year, we're looking at a particular theme. As Wayne said, we're looking at home. And so we're not diving into a particular book, but we're looking in different books that help us to think about this concept of home. And initially, this term, we're looking at it through the Old Testament and the stories of exile and homecoming. But in order for you to understand that, we're just going to do a little bit of history. So um, I, I wasn't good at history, um, and I was in a choir when I was younger. So when all the other kids went off to junior church and learned about the Old Testament, I didn't. And so when I got to th study theology at university, I found myself having to pretend that I knew stuff about the Old Testament that I didn't, and that got me into trouble. Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend um, that you... No, I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to presume that you don't know the stuff that actually is really important to know about the Old Testament and about the stories of exile. And if you do and you know it better than me, you can come and correct me afterwards. But we're just going to have a quick history lesson um, so that we can understand everything that's being said in the next few months. So whether you're a Christian or not, you will probably know the character David. He was king and um, he fought a guy called Goliath, okay? And um, and once he'd done that, he became king, and he united um, the tribes of Israel that were previously two into one. And he and his son Solomon, who was also king, participated in leading a group of a, a nation where God was at the very center of their national life. And not just a ceremony, but it was part of the whole way in which they lived together. Now, when Solomon died, the kingdom split into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And gradually, over time, 
the people became less faithful to God and his instructions. And Israel were the leaders in that. Judah lagged a bit behind on that. And um, Israel in the north was so bad that um, actually they, they kind of they lost their heavenly protection. And, and the nation of Assyria, which was a, a kingdom to the north in modern-day Syria, came... And from about 740 BC onwards, they began to take um, the people of Israel off into exile, and they, um, they basically were lost as a whole nation. Judah had a front seat on what was going on over a period of about 30 years, up until 710 BC. And yet that still didn't change the way that Judah responded over the next hundred years, they were increasingly less faithful to God's teaching, to the point where around about 600 BC, the next global superpower on the block, the Babylonians, came from the east. Um, you can see there. Babylonians came to Judah, and they began to take the people of Judah off into exile. And the Babylonians were brutal. Okay? Um, and, and it was not pleasant. And they left a tiny remnant of people, the poorest of the poor, in Jerusalem. But they took all the wealthy and the powerful off into Babylon, into exile, and started making them take on Babylonian customs, Babylonian language. And then eventually, after 70 years, the faithful remnant in Babylon were allowed to come back to Jerusalem and to build, to rebuild the city. Okay, so, um, so that's about 150 years of history right there, maybe 200 if you include the return. Um, and, and what I want to say is that um, hopefully this isn't just a really boring history lesson. Right now, what I want you to know is that this part of the Bible, we've chosen this part of the Bible because we believe it deeply connects with our stories right now as Christians today here in Bristol. Okay? So um, just as those Jews living in Babylon were coming to terms with international relocation, many of you have had to uproot your lives, um, some from Hong Kong, um, from China, from Ukraine. And you are dealing with the challenges right now of living in a different culture. And that's the story of the Jews in Babylon. Okay? And so I want you, when you come to these stories, to allow yourself to connect deeply with the people in those passages. If um, you're here and you feel a sense of rootlessness because you don't know where home is. And that can be for a variety of reasons. You may even have experienced homelessness, or you may be serving people who have experienced homelessness. This whole arc of Scripture of about 200 years has so many people in it who are feeling a loss of home and all that home does in terms of bringing identity and formation to us. And then if you're here and you're, um, well, if you're here and you're a Christian, your experience of Christianity in this country is going to be very similar to the experience that the faithful Jews were experiencing between about 700 and 600 BC, between when the Assyrians took the Israelites off 
into captivity and before the Babylonians came. Because in that time, the faithful followers of God were saying, we need to turn back to God because we don't want to lose our heavenly protection. We need to be faithful to him because of who he is. And all the others were ignoring him. And actually, the, the faithfulness to God went from the mainstream in their national life to the margins. Today, about 5% of the nation will be in church. 5%. Buildings that were once full are now closed. We, as Christians, are making the transition in this era from the mainstream to the margins. And so when we come to these texts, as we're going to this morning with a text from about 700 BC, whether we've relocated internationally or not, there is a deep connection between us and the text. We can feel what they felt when they heard what they heard. And so we should do well to listen to it. So that's, it's not just history. It's something that means something to me, and I really hope it means something to you and shapes and forms us. But the crucial difference between us and them is that whilst they were waiting for a savior, we are not. Whilst they were waiting for a savior, we are not. We read these texts, the other side of the cross, and so what they were waiting and longing for, we know has come in the person of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at Isaiah 35, and in Isaiah chapters 36 to 39, there's a telling of the story of King Hezekiah. Stay with me just for a moment, and it's just one last bit of history. Um, king Hezekiah was king in um, Jerusalem, of the people of Judah, around about um, 700. And, and he actually enabled the nation to turn back to God at a time when they were in trouble. The Assyrians had come back and they were sniffing around Judah and were thinking about taking another bunch of people off into exile. And, and actually, Hezekiah helped them not to do that. He helped them to stay faithful to God and to be protected where they were. And the passage today is a passage that speaks into that moment in history. It, it's something that we understand would have shaped and formed what it meant for people to be faithful in the context of unfaithfulness. So I hope that it will help us as Christians to think about what it means to be faithful to God in a time when a nation is turning its back on God. So let's read. Um, that was a long introduction. Um, let's read from um, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will be highway, will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those that, who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. In this text, the hope of a different future emerges. In this text, the hope of a different future emerges. Creation is redeemed. What was once brown is green. What was once dry is wet. And what was once hazardous is beautiful. But that hope tells us that at the time, things were not green, wet, and beautiful. They were actually brown, dry, and hazardous. That passage also talks about humanity and humanity being healed. Feeble hands are strengthened, weak knees are steadied, the blind see, the lame walk, the mute speak, and the deaf hear. So actually, humanity at that time was broken and in need of healing. Creation wasn't working then. If you hadn't noticed, it isn't working now. Humanity was in need of healing then. If you hadn't noticed, humanity is in need of healing now. So we find ourselves in a similar spot where God is moved to the margins, creation stops working, and humanity needs healing. At the center of this vision in verse 10, perhaps... um, Tim, you could pop it back up on the screen, is the highway of holiness. Where there is no evil, there is safety. There are the redeemed. There are the redeemed. It says at one point, no unclean. It doesn't mean um, humans and sin. It means that actually those who don't want to be redeemed and don't want to be rescued those who want to make it an unsafe place, those who want to make it brown and dry and hazardous, don't walk in the way. But for anyone who wants to be rescued, for anyone who wants to be redeemed, this way of holiness is there. Ultimately, what we know, reading this, the other side of the cross, is what Isaiah was longing for, what he was seeing, was Jesus himself. 
Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a heart and the tongue of the mute will speak. When John the Baptist sends people to Jesus and asks him whether actually he is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus' response is, well, look what's happening. And it's a fulfillment of these verses that actually humanity is being healed. The kingdom of God is breaking out. The kingdom of God is drawing near. What Isaiah longed for, what he saw in the future, a way, the way, came in Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not going back to Wayne's references to coincidences earlier. It's not a coincidence that the Christians were first known as followers of the way. There is a way, and his name is Jesus. And friends, we live in times of huge uncertainty. Huge uncertainty. Not to labor the point, but global superpowers look increasingly sinister. Our friendships with neighboring nations look increasingly fragile. Probably God alone knows what will happen with our economy. We have a new monarch and a new prime minister. We're in the early stages of a recession, and people will soon be choosing between eating and heating. And all of this while we continue to grossly misuse the planet. And, and, the, and the thing is here, you'll go, well, don't be too down on it, James. That's what some people would want to say to me at that point. I'm like, actually, all of those things are, are facts. But in the midst of that, we as Christians have a hope. And his name is Jesus. And so whilst the world around us will say in the midst of this, well, just you be you, you do you, whatever makes you happy... God calls his church when it moves to the margins to remember why his church was there in the first place. And that is because Jesus came to make all things new. He came to bring the kingdom of God, to usher in what will one day happen when he returns and makes all things new and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And so... The encouragement to all of us today as Christians is to say, whilst you might feel moved to the margins, whilst you might feel muted or insignificant, actually, we have the answer. We have the answer the world longs for and desperately needs. Because when the highway of holiness is seen, it changes humanity and creation begins to come forth back to where it was supposed to be. Humanity is healed and creation is redeemed. Just this week, I had the pleasure of sitting with a guy who has set up a bunch of small businesses helping people who are vulnerable to find work just up the road in Stroud in Gloucestershire. He's a Christian and he calls this set of businesses the Grace Network. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. At one point in the evening, 
he found himself in front of a bunch of people he had never met in tears talking about somebody who they had been supporting and caring for who had disappeared and they didn't know where he was. And he said, I don't normally cry, but he was crying. (laughs) Tears were flowing down his cheeks because he cares deeply about the restoration of this one person from brokenness to healing and life. I'm not asking you to be superheroes. I'm not asking you to change the world. Jesus isn't even asking you to do that. He's just asking us to do what he wants us to do next. He just wants us to see him as the way of holiness and to respond by helping his kingdom to draw near. Amen.